All right. If there's one thing that uh, is pretty true across the board, it's that New Englanders aren't the friendliest bunch around. Okay. Now, don't get me wrong. We have friends. We have people we love. And, uh, you know, we, we have them over for dinner. But to strangers, we're not necessarily very open. Uh, I looked over every uh, list I could possibly find of the top 10 friendliest cities in the United States. Not one city was in New England. Not one. They, they were all either, and I don't just mean like Boston, I mean nothing in Connecticut, nothing in Rhode Island, nothing in New Hampshire, nothing in Maine, nothing in Vermont, nothing. Uh, they were all either down south or out west. Um, you know, like Telluride, Colorado made it, which is a really big hippie town, in case you're, if you've never been out there. Um, so there was that. Everything else was like Austin, Charleston, South Carolina. We're just not known to be really warm, fuzzy people uh, here in New England. But what I find funny is that if we were to ask New Englanders who are the most rude, obnoxious people around, who would we say? This is this one's not rhetorical. Who would we say? Yes, exactly. New Yorkers. It's exactly the answer I've always gotten. Yeah, we're not that friendly, but people from New York, man, they are just they're even worse than we are. Um, and so I experienced that actually, especially when it comes uh to Red Sox fans and Yankees fans. I experienced this firsthand when I first moved here. Uh I was a Rockies fan originally. Uh, and I still like the Rockies, but they had this player named Matt Holliday, and he was just a great player, and I said if they ever traded him while I lived out here, I was going to become a Red Sox fan. Well, guess what? Like six months after we moved out here, the Rockies trade Matt Holliday. So I'm, you know, the next day I'm in the store living up to my word, putting a Red Sox hat on, taking pictures, sending that to my friends in Colorado. So I'm sitting at the North Shore Mall, I've got my Red Sox hat on, and this cute little kid waddles up to me, and he waves, and he's like, hi, how are you doing? And I'm like, hey, buddy, oh, nice to see you. All of a sudden, I mean, just really quickly, his dad swoops in, picks him up, and goes, he's a Red Sox fan, we don't talk to them. No smile, no (laughs) wink, nothing. And of course, he's wearing a Yankees hat. Man, these guys really are the worst. They are terrible. I, I was being nice to your kid, and all you did was sweep him away and be really rude to me. Man, Yankees fans really deserve their reputation. That's what I was sitting there thinking. You know, the, the Yankees and, and Yankees fans and Red Sox fans, they're like the Hatfields and McCoys of the Northeast. They don't get along. They try not to talk to each other. They go to different, even if they, they live in the same city, they go to different bars. They don't associate with each other very often. All right, today we're going to read a parable about two groups who were like that, the Jews and the Samaritans. The split goes way back between these two groups. It actually originated over where should they worship. So you had some groups of priests who were wanting to move the center of worship uh, down to Jerusalem. They were originally worshiping at Mount uh, Gerizim. And there were another group of priests that said, no, God hasn't called us to move, we're staying here. And so you see this split between these two groups, where one is saying, nope, this is the right place to worship, and the other one is saying, this is the right place to worship. 
Now, if you were part of the southern kingdoms of Israel and you went down to Jerusalem and you were worshiping there, you saw the northern kingdoms fall into terrible idolatry. And uh, that would be where the Samaritans were. But they still held on to the fact that they were actually worshiping God in the right place while everybody down south in Jerusalem was worshiping God in the wrong place. Well, then the Assyrians came along, and the Assyrians took something like 29,000 Samaritans out of Samaria and let other people from all over Mesopotamia come in and settle this land just north of Jerusalem. All right, so then all sorts of problems happened, and uh, the Assyrians said, hey, we're having trouble settling this land, so we're actually going to send priests back that we've exiled, we're going to send them back into this land so that they can teach them to worship uh, the God of the land. Well, when they did that, and then other Samaritans came back, they actually started to intermarry with these other people from all over Mesopotamia. And instead of them all converting and worshiping the true God, instead you saw them adopt the gods of their spouses as well. And so they were trying to worship two gods. And so that did not sit well either. So now we have two things that are really driving these two groups of people apart. But the third comes when the Greeks come and conquer all over the land, all over Palestine. What happened was there was a Greek king, his name was Antiochus Epiphanes, and he wanted everybody not just to be ruled by Greek, but to become Greek. He wanted them to take on Greek culture. He wanted them to take on... Uh, Greek religion. And in fact, the Samaritans in the, there in the area of Samaria were much more willing to take on that Greek culture. And they became what's called very Hellenized. They became like the Greeks. And in fact, their temple was actually renamed as a temple for Zeus. There's some debate as to whether that t- was uh, forced upon them or whether they were just willingly doing it. But they became very Greek-like. And then Antiochus Epiphanes realized that the Jews down in the south, down in Jerusalem, were not bending to his will. And so he wanted to strike one final blow at them that he thought would just totally crush their spirit and crush their will to worship God. And so he took a pig, which is an unclean animal. He takes a pig and he takes it into the temple and he slaughters a pig on the altar to God. And that actually enraged the Jews so much that they finally stood up, they had a revolt, and they threw off Greek rule. But the Samaritans represented that Greek rule to the Jews, and so they hated them even more. So there was this deep divide between the Jews and the Samaritans. And today we're going to see Jesus use that deep divide to actually make a beautiful point Joffrey read this, but we're going to read it again. Uh, let's start in John 10. We're going to go 25, or excuse me, not John, Luke 10. So used to preaching out of John. Luke 10, 29, or 25 through 29. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he, the lawyer, answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor 
as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So we have the lawyer stands up, wants to put Jesus to the test. And he, so what does he do? He asks him a question that he already knows the answer to. And Jesus pulls a classic teacher move. I love using this move in the classroom. When a question is asked and you know the guy knows the answer, you just ask him the question right back. Well, what do you, what do you think? What do you think is the answer? You know, what does it say to you? And so the man, then the lawyer, he answers him. And uh, Jesus, what does Jesus say? He doesn't correct him. Jesus says, no, you answered correctly. You know, you answered right. Do this and you will live. And that could have just been the end of the conversation. The lawyer could have gone, yep, all right, I'll do that. I'm going to live great. I'll love God with all my heart and my mind and my soul. I'll love my neighbor as myself. I'm going to do all that great. The lawyer tries to do something. He wants to justify himself. He wants to justify himself before Jesus. And so he asked Jesus another question. He said, and who is my neighbor? I'm sure he's thinking that when Jesus is going to answer, he's going to be like, well, your neighbor, the guy who lives next door to you, or you know, anybody who's within shouting distance of you, or someone whose house you can see from your house. You know, he wants to be justified. He wants this checklist where he can go, yep, I did that, I did that, I did that, I'm good, I'm inheriting eternal life, let's go. But instead, Jesus gives him a crazy answer. He does it in this parable. We'll continue to read it. Verse 30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So this man who gets beat up and robbed is left. And he's left there to die. He's half dead. And a priest comes along and you would expect a priest to stop, to love this man, to show mercy on this man on the road who is near death, who can't help himself. But what does the priest do? The priest doesn't want to be bothered, and instead, he walks around. Now keep in mind, we're talking about a priest. This is somebody who would have been very well respected in the community. You would expect somebody like that to stop. But Jesus is using a priest as an example of what not to do. So man, that's got to be shocking right there to start with. And then the second example Jesus uses is a Levite. That's one of the tribes of Israel, and they were a respected tribe of Israel. In fact, to be a priest, you had to be a Levite. This was a very well-respected tribe held in honor 
And yet when this Levite comes along, he sees the man and he does the exact same thing the priest does. He says, I'm not bothering with this. He goes out of his way, he goes around the man, keeps going. Hey, that would be offensive, again, if you're sitting there. Two of the most respected people in your community were just used as examples of what not to be like. And then the third man, who is going to be the hero in this story, what is he? He is one of those half-breed, Greek-loving idol worshipers who you cannot stand. That is the hero of this story. The Samaritan. He comes and what does the Samaritan do? The Samaritan sees the man and he has compassion. He has compassion on the man and so he goes up to the man and he starts to dress his wounds and he cleans it out with wine and with oil and he bandages them. And then he puts the man on his own animal. And he takes him to an inn where he takes care of him some more and then he pays for the man's stay and any further treatment the man is going to need. That would have been a shocking story for this Jewish lawyer to hear. Alright, let me try and put this in some modern terms here. We're going to go back to the Yankees and Red Sox. Okay, the Yankees and the Red Sox played a few weeks back and I had some friends who went, and guess what they saw at the game? Lots of fights between the Red Sox and Yankees fans. Hey, now imagine there's a Red Sox and a Yankees fan fighting, and the Red Sox fan is just getting pummeled. He is getting beat. The Yankee fan definitely comes out on top, and he walks away. And you just have this poor guy in his Red Sox jersey and his Red Sox hat lying on the ground. And all the other Red Sox fans are just walking by, shaking their head, you know, making sure they don't step in any blood or anything like that. And all of a sudden, a Yankees fan comes along, and a Yankees fan looks at this poor Red Sox fan on the ground, and he starts administering first aid. He goes and gets help. And when the ambulance shows up to take this guy to the hospital, the Yankees fan goes, oh, by the way, here's my address. Please send me all his medical bills. That would be shocking to us. Because Yankees and Red Sox fans don't get along. Now obviously, that's a, a smaller version of what we're talking about between these two groups of people. But it gives you the idea. You wouldn't expect a Yankees fan to come to the rescue of a Red Sox fan. You're not expecting a Samaritan to come to the rescue of a Jewish man on the side of the road. Alright, so there's, that's where we're at. That's where this man is. I'm sure he's a little stunned. And what's the next thing Jesus does? He doesn't give him a break. He doesn't pause or anything. He said, who was this man's neighbor? Who became the neighbor of this man on the side of the road? And the, the lawyer answers. And it's funny how the lawyer answers, because I would have think, I would think he would just say, well, the Samaritan, you know? Not the priest, not the Levite, the Samaritan. But the lawyer answers, the one who showed him mercy. He can't even bring himself to say the name of the person who rescued this man. Because it was his enemy. That wasn't somebody he liked. That was somebody he disliked greatly. I'm sure if he thought back five minutes before this parable started, 
the last thing in the world Jesus was going to use as an example of who to be a neighbor, it was going to be a Samaritan. That is exactly what happened because the law that he was talking about, to love our neighbors as ourselves, didn't mean just those who we wanted to, just those who were our friends or our family or who had the same interest in us. No, it was anybody and everybody around us. That is what we are called to do as Christians. We are to love everybody around us. And I know we real quick like will jump to conclusions, yeah, but this person did that, and that person did this, and this guy, I just don't like him, and I don't like her, and this person's been nothing but rude to me. But before we start going down that road very far, I want to bring us back to what Joffrey read at the very beginning in Romans 5. That is that Jesus Christ died for us. It calls us three different things that Jesus Christ, that we were when Jesus Christ died for us. It said we were ungodly. It said we were sinners. And it didn't even stop there. It said we were God's enemies. See, we are called to love all of those around us, even those who we think of as our enemies, because that is exactly what God did for us. While we were His enemies, He died for us. He loved us before we turned to Him. 1 John 4 is a beautiful chapter actually about this, about how you cannot separate the love of God from loving your neighbor. If you love God, you are also going to love your neighbor. And it gives us a beautiful reason as to why in 1 John 4.17, it says we love because God first loved us. That's why we love. That is why we are called to love our neighbor. We weren't this, these great, wonderful people that all of a sudden God has said, hey, I'm going to love you because of how nice you look or how clean you are or because you seem to have your life together. God loved us while we were his enemies. It's crystal clear about our relationship with God before we come to faith in Jesus. Therefore, if God loved us, how can we not love those around us? Right? The beginning of the Gospel is that God loved us. Think of the most famous Bible verse ever. John 3.16, everybody knows it. Even if you don't go to church, you've seen the sign at a sporting event. How does it start? It starts, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God loved all of us while we were still His enemies, He expects us to do the same in return, to love our enemies. Not as some means, not like some uh, works that we're doing for salvation, but because we have been saved by God, we're going to love our neighbor, whoever they are around us. A couple weeks back, I got to officiate a race. I love race cars. I know I've used that as an illustration before as well. But um, I got to officiate a race up in New Hampshire, and I had to work in the spotter's stand. Working in the spotter's stand is rough because you have all the spotters for the teams. You can't see real well in those race cars, so they need people to tell them where the other race cars are. And also, 
uh, the, while the drivers can hear the officials on, on the radio, they can't talk back to the officials. So I, I stand in there with these spotters who the drivers can talk to. So if they have any questions for the officials, they can come talk to me. Well, the racing got pretty rough. There were a lot of wrecked cars and a lot of tempers flaring and some calls they didn't agree with. And so all these guys and some women are just around me yelling at me. I'm getting called names. We actually had to eject one woman because she just went over the top finally. And uh, I'm sitting there the whole time and I'm having to remind myself the whole time that God loves me, He loves them, I need to love them as well. Because believe me, I want to be sitting there going, you know, what are you guys doing? Just yelling back at them, being rude to them back just as they're treating me. But that whole time, that, that is in my mind. And after the race, there's a spotter behind me, and we're all done. Uh, and I, I'm talking with some other officials, and he comes up to me, and this is what, literally what he said. He said, how big was the bowl you smoked before you went up there? He thought I had to be on marijuana in order to remain that calm with all of those people yelling at me. I wasn't on marijuana, I promise. I wasn't soaking anything. No, I was up there and literally the whole time that is what I was thinking. I've got to love these people even though they are being really, really nasty to me. Because God loved me when I was His enemy. Jesus died on the cross. He paid the ultimate price so that I could be reconciled to God. It's going to cost us something to love our neighbors, whoever they are. It's going to cost us something. Think about what I just said. It cost Jesus the ultimate price of dying on the cross to love us. It's going to cost us something. It might be our time. It might be our money. It might be our reputation because we're hanging out with people who aren't very cool all of a sudden. It could cost us a lot. But we need to be willing to do that. A week and a half back, uh, Sergio and Ali Mazza were here. And uh, they are in an island off the coast of Africa living amongst people who don't know Jesus. In fact, they're all Muslim. They live in the same type of housing. They're eating the same food. They just got Oreos there like a couple months back. You know, Sergio was excited. I'd be excited about too. They are giving up all these things. But one thing really stuck out. There is a funny custom on this island. It is strange to New Englanders especially, but I think to a lot of Americans in general, from like 8 to midnight, it's open house. All right? Your neighbor can come by, he will poke his head in the door and go, Hody! That's what they do. They come by and then you let them in, you give them something to eat, you give them something to drink, and you spend time with them. Now think about that. You've just had a long day. You finally get the kids down. You're looking forward to maybe some time reading or watching a movie or just spending some good quality time with your spouse and all of a sudden somebody shows up. Hootie! All right, here we go. We're going to get this done. 
And we all said, Sergio, that would be difficult. Sergio said, yeah. But you know why I do it? Because Jesus loved me and paid everything for me. How can I not do the same for them? How can we not invite them into our home and love them and feed them and give them a drink? They are really doing anything they can, paying any price so that these people will hear the Gospel, will see the Gospel lived in their lives. Hopefully many of them, many of them will come to faith in Jesus through what they're doing there. Sergio's response was just beautiful. And it really did get quiet after that in the room. Man, Sergio hit the nail on the head. That is who we are called to be. We are called to love our neighbors. And it was the same thing the Samaritan in the story. He paid out two denarii. That's two days' wages that he paid for that man in the end. And then he said, if anything else is needed... I'm going to come back and pay for that as well. That is what we're called to do. Notice Jesus says, go and do likewise. I pray that we would be a church like that. And we've done many great things this year. I don't want any of you to get me wrong. I know that we have opened up our homes to people. We've had a barbecue. We've played volleyball. We have done all that. But over the next year, let's be a church that really drives this home in this area here in New England. It's going to be something that's going to be completely different to other people. Inviting them into our home, sharing our lives with them. Maybe people we don't even know that well yet. Think of Joffrey. He went with a, a buddy golfing and he was, he was telling him about how you know in our home groups we share our lives with each other. And the guy golfing was like, What? It's going to be different. It is going to be something totally different to them. But let's be a church that excels in that area. A year from now, we can look back and say we loved people like Jesus loved us. We had them into our homes. We went to a game with them. We went out to eat with them. We let them stay over till midnight talking when something really tough happened in their life. We were there for the birth of their child. We were there fixing meals for them. We were visiting them in the hospital when they were sick. And when we start to feel like, you know, I don't want to do that, or I don't have time for that, please, please, please let us remember the Gospel. That God loved us first while we were still His enemies. That Jesus came down and died on the cross for our sins. The ultimate sign of love. Laying down His life. Would we respond in the same way to those around us?